AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 59 of AFF On Air. It's Saturday the 1st of May 2021. The Trans-Tasman travel bubble between Australia and New Zealand is now well and truly open, and thousands of Aussies have already flocked to New Zealand to take advantage of it. In this episode, I'll chat to Alan Lamb from NetWave Travel about the bubble and what you need to know before travelling to New Zealand at the moment. Also coming up, how you can claim back the GST on items you've bought in Australia before leaving the country, for example, to New Zealand, through the tourist refund scheme. And what happens to your frequent flyer points after you die? That and more is on the way, but first let's begin as always with a roundup of the latest airline and frequent flyer news from the past fortnight. Firstly, Qantas says it has now fixed what appears to have been a widespread problem that saw customers with cancelled classic flight reward bookings for multiple passengers only receiving a refund for one passenger. In response to questions from Australian Frequent Flyer, Qantas said that it had identified a temporary issue affecting some multi-passenger bookings, which has now been fixed, but some Australian Frequent Flyer members say that they've still experienced this issue in recent weeks. So if you have requested a refund for a booking with multiple passengers over the past few months from Qantas, you might just want to double check that you have received it in full. And if you haven't, you might want to call Qantas to get it rectified. Speaking of refunds, AFF members have also discovered that if you're still waiting for a refund of a cash airfare or the tax component of an award booking from Qantas, you can call after eight weeks and the call centre staff should then be able to process your refund on the spot, but only if you've already been waiting for at least eight weeks. Most Australian state borders have now reopened to travellers from Perth and the Peel regions of Western Australia after the city's three-day lockdown ended last Monday night. Most Australian states, as well as New Zealand, had removed temporary restrictions added on arrivals from Perth by the middle of this week, and South Australia removed its remaining restrictions yesterday afternoon. At the time of recording, Victoria is the only state which hasn't yet removed all restrictions. Victoria still considers Greater Perth and Peel to be an orange zone, meaning anyone arriving in Victoria from these areas would need to get a COVID-19 test and self-isolate until receiving a negative result. A war of words has broken out between Rex Deputy Chairman John Sharp and Qantas CEO Alan Joyce. Last week, Mr Sharp wrote a fiery opinion piece in the Australian Financial Review where he lashed out at Alan Joyce's record at the airline, questioned Qantas's financial position, arguing Qantas, quote, is now technically insolvent, unquote, and he accused Alan Joyce of being a hypocrite in calling out cronyism between Rex and the federal government. Mr Sharp also said that Qantas had left hundreds of thousands of Australian mums and dads billions of dollars out of pocket due to the airline's refund policies. Such attacks from Rex are quite common, and it's certainly not the first time that they've publicly attacked Qantas or public figures like Alan Joyce. Normally, Qantas laughs this kind of thing off as a Rex tantrum, but this time Alan Joyce has responded, writing his own opinion piece in the Financial Review the very next day. In business, credibility is everything, Mr Joyce wrote. And he said, your customers, investors and the market need to know that they can believe what you're saying. So do regulators. How then should Rex be judged? 
Joyce accused Rex of constantly throwing tantrums when things don't go their way, pointed out that Rex has been sanctioned by ASIC last year for failing to follow disclosure rules, and said that Rex has, quote, presided over the worst launch of a new jet airline in Australia's aviation history with empty aircraft and and announced routes never flown. This is despite them insisting now is the perfect time for such a venture, and like the knight from Monty Python, that any setback is just a flesh wound, end quote. Joyce went on to say that the frequency with which Rex May's baseless criticisms of Qantas points to its being a key part of their strategy. And Qantas says that Rex has now made so many dubious claims about it that they've started a new webpage to debunk them. Ouch. The reality is, though, that Rex does appear to be struggling on its new Boeing 737 domestic services connecting capital cities like Sydney and Melbourne. Loads on many of its new 737 routes, particularly that Sydney to Melbourne route, have been consistently well below Qantas and Virgin. And it's well documented on AFF and in other places that a lot of flights have departed with passenger numbers that are really very low, some even in single single digits. And there was one flight last Sunday, that was the 7am departure from Sydney to Melbourne, that appears to have had no passengers on board at all. And amazingly, the flight wasn't even cancelled. Then last Thursday, Rex escalated the ugly feud even further by complaining yet again to the ACCC, alleging that Qantas and Virgin have been expanding their domestic capacity in a coordinated manner in order to deliberately hurt Rex. I mean, honestly, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, perhaps if Rex directed more of their money and their energy into actually advertising their new flights, and perhaps launching a frequent flyer program, they'd have more passengers and wouldn't need to resort to blaming everyone else in the aviation industry for their own failures. Qantas, meanwhile, said that it has already sold a lot of international flights for travel in late 2021 and 2022, with the UK and the United States among the most popular destinations. Qantas has said that many customers are now booking international flights for the December and January holiday period next year, with many long-haul trips currently being sold around Christmas time or over the 2021-22 summer school holidays. Qantas is currently selling international flights for travel beyond the 31st of October 2021, but there are still questions about whether the planned restart of international flights at the end of October can still go ahead, now that it's unlikely the majority of Australians will be vaccinated by then. If Qantas does need to push the date back, customers with affected bookings will at least be offered refunds, travel credits or a change of dates. Qantas has donated a replica of its Captain Cook Lounge to the Qantas Founders Museum in Longreach. The Captain Cook Lounge was originally built on the upper deck of Qantas's Boeing 747-200s in the early 1970s, revolutionary at its time. The nautical-themed lounge had space for 15 first-class passengers, and it was an exclusive area to socialise, enjoy a cocktail from the bar, or even smoke cigars. The lounge was decommissioned in 1979 when Qantas replaced the space on the upper deck of its early 747s with business-class seats. The replica was originally built to be used as a set in Qantas's centenary safety video, which was released last year. Qantas has also just released a special centenary gin in partnership with Four Pillars, containing native Australian flavours like lemongrass, macadamia and lemon myrtle, sourced from outback Queensland. The gin is selling for $90 a bottle on the Qantas wine store, and it will also be featured in a special cocktail called Longreach Fizz, which is now available on the menu at the Qantas International First Lounges in Sydney and Melbourne, and in domestic chairman's lounges. 
Speaking of lounge menus, Virgin Australia has now rolled out its upgraded lounge menu to its Sydney and Brisbane lounges, and this will also be rolled out in Melbourne next week. This is the same improved menu which was already available in Virgin's Adelaide and Canberra lounges. Virgin says the improved menu, which features dishes like salads and wraps, will be rolled out in Perth and the Gold Coast lounges soon. Next Monday morning, Virgin will also open a second temporary pop-up lounge in Melbourne to cope with the increased demand while they're still reconstructing the main lounge. Uh, This will be available from Monday morning to Velocity Gold uh, and lounge members, as well as people using lounge passes, and it will be adjacent to the AFL kitchen and bar in the Virgin Terminal. And from Monday morning, this means that the current temporary lounge, which is the former club lounge, will be available only to platinum and business class guests. Singapore Airlines will continue extending the validity of expiring Chris Flyer miles for six months at a time until at least March 2022. Previously, this was only until June 2021, which had been causing quite a lot of worry to members like I covered in a recent episode. It's welcome news for Singapore Airlines Chrysler members who are concerned that their miles could expire before they have a proper opportunity to redeem them, particularly with international borders still closed. So with the new policy, this means that all Chrysler miles due to expire by March 2022 will be automatically extended by six months at a time. Miles that have already been extended are also eligible to receive additional six-month extensions if their updated expiry date still falls before March 2022. So, for example, if you have miles due to expire in July this year, they'll be extended firstly to January next year and then again for another six months next January if still unused. It's not yet clear what will happen to miles, though, that are due to expire on or after April 2022. The airline currently says that as the situation remains fluid, we will continue to monitor and review this closer to the date. But really, I think everyone's hoping that Singapore Airlines will adjust its expiration policy. The current policy where all miles expire after three years is really outdated and antiquated and it's not really fair on members when there's very little opportunity to use them for such an extended period of time. The United Nations Human Rights Committee has requested to the Australian government that they facilitate and ensure the prompt return of Australian citizens stranded overseas by the government's international arrival caps. The ruling comes after human rights lawyers and advocates argued that Australia has breached international law by arbitrarily preventing its own citizens from returning home due to the arrival caps. The International Covenant of Civil and Politician Rights says that no one shall be arbitrarily deprived of the right to enter his or her own country. The French government has banned domestic flights on short routes where it's possible to travel by train instead in less than two and a half hours for environmental reasons. But domestic flights connecting to long-haul flights remain exempt. And Jetstar is bringing Boeing 787 Dreamliners onto domestic routes from June in an effort not only to increase capacity on popular routes, but also to retrain pilots and crew in preparation for the eventual restart of long-haul flights. Five of the low-cost carrier's Dreamliners will leave storage and will be used on selected flights from Sydney and Melbourne to Cairns and the Gold Coast. Business class won't be sold on these flights, but these planes are normally used on long-haul routes, so they're fitted with 21 business class seats, which are wider and have more legroom. And these seats will be available to select by economy class passengers for just a small additional fee. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. 
You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. On the 19th of April 2021, so that was Monday of last week, a two-way travel bubble between Australia and New Zealand finally opened up. Joining me today to discuss this and a few other timely topics is travel agent extraordinaire and regular guest on this podcast, Alan Lamb. Welcome, Alan. Hi, Matt. Thanks for coming back on. So, finally, Australians can travel to New Zealand again, which is super exciting news. I'm looking forward to going myself in a few weeks, but it's not quite the same as before. So, what's different now about the sort of the procedures and the process of travelling to New Zealand? Uh, travelling to New Zealand, I mean, whilst it's uh, not not too arduous in process, uh, yeah, there's some extra paperwork that needs to be filled out, uh, filled out and uh, declarations that need to be done. Uh, so, flying to New Zealand at the moment at check-in, you'll be asked to um, answer some questions in relation to your health uh, that you've you know, essentially making as a, a verbal declaration. Um, you also have to fill out the New Zealand travel declaration, which is an online form that you need to do before you check in. Um, at the moment, there's no requirement to do any COVID testing uh, before travel, unlike uh, traveling to a lot of other countries at the moment. Um, but uh, there has been instances where we may see uh, you know, COVID testing be required you know, if there's like an outbreak in a certain state or a certain city. Mm. Uh, coming back to Australia, uh, again, it's quite similar. There's uh, a travel declaration that needs to be filled out called the Australian, sorry, the Australian Travel Declaration. And uh, depending on which state you're flying into, there's also uh, potentially a state form as well that needs to be filled out. So New South Wales has a paper form at the moment. Uh, Victoria, you have to fill out the Victorian Travel Permit. If you're flying into WA, you need to fill out the G2G Pass and so forth. Yeah, and all of the flights now between Australia and New Zealand are green zone flights, right? So you're not going to be sharing with passengers transiting from a you know another overseas country. That's correct. Uh, all all flights operated by Jetstar, Qantas, and Air New Zealand are now green zone flights. Uh, previously, Air New Zealand in particular did operate some red zone flights as well as green zone flights, but that has now stopped. Uh, so all flights that you can see online bookable between Australia and New Zealand are green zone flights. There is uh, Qatar Airways that do operate some Brisbane to Auckland flights, but. Uh, uh, they do not take on any local passengers from Brisbane. No, I guess they'd be classed as red zone. And yeah, right. and you mentioned that Quant- so Qantas, Air New Zealand and Jetstar are the three airlines currently operating green zone trans-Tasman flights. What routes are currently operating? And I believe there's a few new routes available as well across the Tasman. Yes, uh, there's quite a number of new routes that have popped up, especially with uh, Qantas. Um, Qantas is uh, intending on starting a Cairns to Auckland service. Uh, they've already started a Gold Coast to Auckland service as well. So those are definitely two new services. Uh in fact, I believe the Gold Coast Auckland is actually uh, Qantas's first international service out of the Gold Coast. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that was uh, definitely an interesting one to see. The Cairns Auckland will also actually be operated by uh, Airbus A330 as well, so uh, it'll be um, the international business cabins. Mm. Also along with that, the Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane flights to Auckland also are operating as A330s as well as the Sydney to Christchurch flights. Uh, there are also, also A330s at both the 200 and the 300 series. So there's quite a few opportunities to uh, try out the um, Qantas International Business Class there. Air New Zealand is operating quite a number of routes, uh, quite similar to what they were doing uh, pre-COVID. Uh, so Air New Zealand uh, from Auckland, like they've got Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, Gold Coast, Hobart now as well, uh, which they haven't flown since the 90s. Yeah, Auckland to Hobart's an interesting one. It's twice a week, right? Yes, it's twice a week and the start on the 22nd of April. So... At the moment, uh, it's just Auckland. There's no, doesn't look like they're going to start any 
other services just yet, but who knows? I mean, in the future they might. Um, they uh, they are looking at starting Adelaide as well next week. Uh, that's meant to be three to four flights a week. Mm. Uh, and then June, they're also looking at starting seasonal service to both the Sunshine Coast and uh, Cairns. So, which airlines, if there's another um, outbreak somewhere in Australia or New Zealand, it is possible that the bubble could be paused again at any time. And I mean, we got a bit of a taste of what could happen last weekend with the uh, with a short lockdown in Perth and uh, travel from Western Australia to New Zealand was suspended for a short time. Uh, which airlines, if that it does happen and your flight gets cancelled, will actually refund you? Qantas is unfortunately the only one that will actually refund you if there's an actual uh, flight cancellation, um, you know, due to border closures or restrictions or other uh, or other similar events. Um, unfortunately, in New Zealand throughout the entire COVID pandemic has been very reluctant to uh, refund passengers at all. Instead, give, um, they would give a travel credit. And, um, you know, who knows when you may, may have the option to travel again. So it's always good to you know, keep your options open by being able to get a refund uh, from your airline if there is a cancellation like that. Um, Jetstar, uh, again, is following a very similar line to in New Zealand in, in the sense that uh, they're pushing credits a lot more. But I believe if you uh, really, you know, uh, argue your case with Jetstar, they will do they will give you a refund. But um, it's a very much a bit of a, a grey area there with Jetstar. Yeah, I did have to laugh. The day before the travel bubble was announced, Air New Zealand put out a media release reminding passengers that they can apply for a compassionate refund if they're either too old or frail to travel now or if they're in financial distress directly due to COVID-19, which is actually, I mean, when you look at it, it's very limited circumstances. But they just the fact that they felt the need to highlight this, um, I guess they must be having some issues with people being reluctant to book with them at the moment because of that refund policy. Yes, unfortunately, the Air New Zealand... Um refund policy last year caused a lot of consternation around the place. Uh, I, I had personally had a few friends who were affected by the uh, such a policy and, you know, at the moment they're still sitting on quite um, large uh, credits within New Zealand, unfortunately. Um, they did at least uh, honour the US Department of Transportation requirements where they had to refund for flights to and from the US. Mm. But, yeah, outside of that, um, they have been very unwilling to refund, generally speaking. Yeah, I've got a lot of family members also over in New Zealand who are still waiting for refunds for Air New Zealand, some of them for quite large amounts of money, and they're really very unhappy with the airline. But yeah, we, we saw, so we, as I just mentioned, we saw last week Perth went into lockdown and the travel bubble from Western Australia to New Zealand was paused. Uh, that gives us kind of an idea of what might happen in the future if there are more outbreaks or short lockdowns in other places around Australia. But with Western Australia, was that, did they pause travel from the whole state of Western Australia or just the affected lockdown regions of Perth and Peel? Do you know? The ultimate effect of that was they basically paused it from the entire state. Um, purely because all the flights come out of Perth or flat. It's really just in New Zealand. Um, so I think the biggest issue here is that if you uh, are required to travel through a lockdown, a lockdown region, potentially, you know, we have a bit of a problem there where they have to shut down uh, travel from that particular state and therefore the flight gets canned or um, you know, operates cargo only and so forth. Um, and unfortunately, with a state as large as WA, um, you know, that is definitely an issue where you could be coming from Broome and very much you know, you're not really affected as such, but unfortunately you get caught up in... Um, situations like a lockdown in Perth. Yeah, I, I do wonder if this is going to be a precedent. If, for example, we saw another outbreak in Brisbane City and for, as just as a hypothetical lockdown Brisbane, would they then pause travel from the entire state of Queensland, so affecting people also from uh, the Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, Cairns and so on? I, I hope not. I, I would hope not too, but, um, you know, we, we don't know what uh, – there's no real precedent or any, um, you know, any guidelines that have really been released in terms of what will happen there. But, um, for, you know, for a state as large as Queensland, when you've got flights from uh, 
four different ports, you know, as you said, Cairns, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast and Brisbane. You know, if, if there is a lockdown in, say, Brisbane, then maybe the Gold Coast, you know, they, they might still allow Sunshine Coast or Cairns flights to continue considering this uh, a bit of a distance between them. Yeah, hopefully. So if there is an outbreak or some other thing happens and your travel to New Zealand gets disrupted, can you purchase travel insurance which covers that? Uh, we do have uh, two insurers that have uh, now come out with COVID-19 benefits uh, on their travel insurance policies. Uh, Covermore is the first one, as well as their reseller Medibank Private. And also Travel Insurance Direct has also come out with um, cover with, uh, for COVID-19. But unfortunately, these policies are not um, not a complete comprehensive cover for you know everything that could possibly happen with COVID-19. Uh, they seems to be more focused on uh, issues like if you get diagnosed with COVID-19 or your travelling companion or family member gets diagnosed with COVID-19 or a business partner and so forth. Um, and they seem to be more focused on uh, paying out in a situation like that where you have to cancel your travel because of these uh, events rather than say, you know, if you like were experienced a border closure, for example, uh, there seems to be... Uh, some of these policies seem to have uh, quite some exclusions about these particular issues with border closures. Yeah, like I think with the Covermore policy, it doesn't cover you if you're travelling to a country that's uh, listed as do not travel by the um, Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. So basically, it's just Australia and New Zealand. And yeah, it does only cover, as far as I've seen, if you're actually diagnosed with COVID-19 or your family member gets diagnosed with COVID-19 or there's a, out, like a specific outbreak at the specific venue you're travelling to, not if there's a lockdown or the borders get closed. So it seems pretty limited considering the low um, number of cases here in Australia and New Zealand. Yes, at, uh, at the moment it seems that that is the case, um, but uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, we don't see any major outbreaks, and uh, therefore, you know, these policies, even though they're a bit limited, at least we you know, hopefully don't have to uh, be claiming this sort of benefit, I guess. Yeah, oh, definitely, that's right. Um, and do you know if duty freeze open when you're travelling to or from New Zealand at the moment? Uh, outbound duty free seems to be open at least at, um, in Sydney and Melbourne, but um, I'm not entirely sure about Brisbane. And uh, if you're leaving New Zealand, uh, at least Auckland seems to be open for duty free. But again, I'm unsure about the smaller ports. And what about the tourist refund scheme or the TRS? I know this is something that a lot of people um, have used when traveling overseas to claim back the GST on items that they've bought and they're taking out of the country. Is this back up and running for departures from Australia? Yes, the tourist refund scheme is now back up and running. Uh, it seemed to have uh, started with a – it was a bit lacking to start off with. I think for the first day or two, they didn't quite have their um, have their act together, but uh, it seems to be back up and running. Um, particularly out of Sydney, it, uh, it looks like the – whilst I haven't been through there personally, the tourist refund scheme uh, claiming area has now moved, and apparently it's over near gate 8 and 9 now. Oh, um, right down that end of the airport, just like through yes, the duty-free shops. Correct. Uh, it looks like it's a whole new area and a whole new setup and everything over there rather than that temporary office that they were in previously just before we had the whole shutdown. Okay. So for anyone who might not be familiar with what the tourist refund scheme is, would you like to just explain what it is and, and how you can use that? Uh, so the tourist refund scheme was originally uh, originally a scheme that uh, basically allowed um, you know all Australian retailers to participate in, I, I guess, offering duty-free in a sense, because duty-free is really just about, you know, um, not paying GST on uh, on something that you're exporting out of the country. So uh, rather than just being limited to items that you can buy at the airport once you're uh, airside international uh, in the international area, uh, now you can buy um, you know any item that you could I guess export overseas um, you know from any retailer in Australia and uh, still claim back the GST as if you were to purchase it at the airport. Yeah, and so what's the rules with that? So I believe it has to be, um, you have to be travelling overseas within 60 days of making the purchase and you need to have spent at least $300. Is there any other rules that people need to be aware of? 
Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, you, you're correct that um, you need to spend at least $300 at the same retailer. Uh, specifically, the main item that they look at for that is uh, the invoices need to come from the same ABN. Um, you can claim multiple invoices as long as they total at least $300. Um, but again, just you know, be careful that it has to be from the same uh, ABN number. Uh, I, like I've seen certain instances where, say, you might go to Harvey Norman um, in Melbourne and you know they might have a different ABN number because it's a franchise-operated store. Compared to say, if you went to uh, a store in Sydney, and you know, again they'll have a different ABN because it's a different franchise. Uh, and you know, in situations like that, where um, you've got invoices from two different ABNs like that, and um, they don't uh, both end up over three hundred, then you certainly won't be able to claim uh, because you aren't over three hundred on the same ABN number. And I believe you need to show the physical items as well at the TRS office at the airport when you're claiming, and then take them out of the country, right? Correct. So you do need to export these items. Uh, and if your item's too large or if it's uh, an item that's restricted in carry-on baggage, uh, you can uh, have your item cited by the Border Force office in the arrivals area. Uh, so in Sydney Airport, that's downstairs. Uh, I think it's uh, down the escalator near uh, check-in row G. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Melbourne, it's towards the Qantas end of the uh, international terminal down arrivals. Uh, and Brisbane, I think, is down one level from arrivals. It's a really small office just down, I think it's down the lift or something like that. Uh, so if they're large items, like, you know, they're too too big to take on as carry-on or they're, you know, they're liquids, um, gels, you know, aerosols, that sort of thing that you would have to check in, uh, then you can certainly get those items cited beforehand and get your invoice stamped, and then you, you don't need to carry those through uh, in your carry-on baggage. Uh, if it's an item that's uh, quite small, you know, if you're claiming like an iPad, phone, laptop, you know, anything that's reasonably portable, uh, they, uh, if you try and get it cited, they will reject it, uh, So and they will tell you that you have to carry it on. And I mean, it's it seems like um, a you know pretty good way to save a bit of money on on items, you know, large purchases that you're making that you're taking out of Australia with you. I mean, for something that's five hundred and fifty dollars, that's fifty dollars you're getting back, for example, with the GST being refunded. Uh, what happens though if you then bring the item back into Australia? Uh, so if you're uh, if you're claiming less than nine hundred dollars uh, per person, then um, you, you don't need to declare these items on the way back in. But uh, if you are claiming more than $900 and you are bringing these items back into Australia, then yes, you will need to declare these items um, on your incoming passenger card. And you know, that depending on you know, your personal circumstances, they may require you to uh, repay that GST that you claim back and possibly more depending on what they deem the value of your items to be. Uh, so this is something that you, know, you need to be mindful of if you're claiming over $900. Although that said, um, you, know, you may be in a uh, situation where you may fly out of the country on your own, but you may claim, say, a you know, $1,500 item, but you may be traveling back into the, uh, into the country on the same flight as uh, another person, say a friend or your partner or you know, your parents or something like that. And uh, because everyone gets a $900 allowance coming into the country, you, know, you can pull your allowances and uh, so your $1,500 item will... Um, it would fall under the combined limit if you if you have two people coming in, oh, yeah. since your uh, limit would be eighteen hundred dollars. Yeah, and I think children get four hundred and fifty dollar limit or something like that. Which is yes, it's a it's definitely a reduced limit. I, unfortunately, I don't remember what the exact yeah. uh, figure is, but it's something less than that. But but something so, and, much less than that. Yeah, and I guess I guess this is also I guess the limit that applies if you're buying if you're exp- uh, sorry importing any item you bought without paying tax in Australia into the country, right? So even if you bought it overseas. Correct. So if you, uh, again, if you spent 900 Australian, uh, I should clarify, it's 900 Australian dollars. Uh, so if you've bought something uh, overseas in New Zealand and you're bringing it back into the country, similar rules apply to that as well. Yeah. Okay. But if you're buying something that's between three and $900, it's a, yeah, it's a 
handy way to get some money back on the GST if you are traveling overseas. And if you're making quite a large purchase, is there any other rules that you need to be aware of? Yes. So uh, if you if your item is a thousand dollars or item or items is more than a thousand dollars, the invoice or receipt must be in your name. So you actually have to be named on the invoice in order to be able to claim it. Uh, so it can't say cash sale or miscellaneous purchase or anything, or just have no name. It has to have your name on it. Okay, good to know. Just finally, Alan, we've seen this week that the Australian government has paused. um, I mean, it's been quite widely reported in the media that they've implemented a travel ban on flights from India um, due to, obviously, the COVID-19 outbreak in India at the moment. I wonder if you could just explain for our listeners what has actually been banned? What what are the actual rules that have been implemented by our government? Uh, Unfortunately, the Australian government hasn't really well uh, thought out the uh, ban particularly well. Um, First, uh, first they announced that they would uh, ban travel from India on direct flights. But at the moment, in terms of direct flights into Australia from India to and from India, we really just have the Qantas repatriation flights uh, that go into Darwin and occasionally to Hobart and Canberra as well. Not, not Canberra anymore. They've suspended those indefinitely. So it's pretty yes, much just so, yeah. how Howard Springs, isn't it? The repatriation flights now? Correct. Mostly Howard Springs now. Uh, but uh, we occasionally also see some Air India flights uh, to and from uh, Sydney and Melbourne as well. Oh, okay. um, but they've largely, uh, those have largely stopped. Uh, they were, there were quite a few last year, but this year they seem to have been a lot. Uh, quieter in that sense. Uh, so those uh, those flights, uh, at least in the original version of the ban, was uh, supposed to have completely stopped. And uh, there were some DFAT flights that were supposed to operate into um, Darwin during the month of May. They seem to have all been moved into June now. Uh, but unfortunately, um, getting out of India, there's you know, there's multiple pathways into Australia as well. And it's not just these flights. You know, these flights are not the only options to get into Australia. So like there's been routings that you could fly on Emirates via Dubai. You could fly on Qatar Airways via Doha. Um, you could fly uh, for a period of time. You could fly down to uh, the Maldives on an uh, on an Indian airline, uh, for example, Indigo, and then you could fly a different airline to get out of uh, the Maldives to Australia. Um, there's also other routings as well uh, that you know you could also take. So there's been there's definitely been quite a few other routings that are viable. And um, as we've heard recently in the media, um, two cricketers managed to two Australian cricketers have managed to get home via Doha on Qatar Airways. Uh, so it looks like they, um, uh, judging on the recent media reports, it looks like they will be uh, trying to shut down these indirect routes as well. Uh, since you know banning the, the direct flights is just going to mean that people are going to take other routes instead. So what does this mean for the you know? There's it's been widely reported. There's over nine thousand Australians currently stranded in India. Hundreds of those are vulnerable. Is there any way for them to actually get back to Australia at this point? Um, unfortunately, at this point, they, um, it looks like it's an ever-changing situation. But um, I think the government is ultimately intent on uh, shutting down all these you know these other uh, back doors or loopholes in in order to still get back into the country. But uh, there still remains uh, a couple of other remaining routes uh, that are still viable. But via third countries. Yes, by by third countries, but uh, you know, with the day to day situation in India looking pretty grim, uh, you know, these these may ultimately get shut down at short notice, and so it may be a bit futile to be honest to try, be trying at this point. Yeah, quite, quite a distressing situation if the Australian stuck there, I can imagine. But anyway, thanks, Alan, for coming onto the podcast again. If anyone, um, you are a very good travel agent. If anyone would like to get in touch with you to uh, book travel, how can they do that? Uh, so I am the user Mad Rooster on Australian Frequent Fly. If you'd like to send me a private message, or you can email me at alan at netwavetravel.com. Uh, and my details, my contact details will be available in the podcast notes as well. Yes, and we do have episode notes for the podcast. I know most people don't read them, but there's always links to um, oh, the, t- the topics that have been discussed on the podcast and, and some more information on there. Well, thanks, Alan. Thank you again, Matt.
If you're not already an Australian Frequent Flyer member, you're missing out on participating in Australia's largest online discussion forum for frequent flyers. The AFF Community Forum is a goldmine of useful resources on travel, loyalty programs, credit cards and so much more. You can learn and ask questions about frequent flyer points, discover unique travel tips by reading our members' trip reports, or even find a great wine deal. By becoming an Australian Frequent Flyer member, you don't just get to participate in our lively forums. You can also send messages to other AFF members, access exclusive AFF offers and services, and you'll see fewer advertisements when browsing the site. And the best part, joining AFF is 100% free. If you're not already a member, visit australianfrequentflyer.com.au forward slash register. It's probably not something that many of us have thought about or really want to think about, but what happens to our frequent flyer points after we die? Assets like money and physical property can of course be bequeathed, but it doesn't quite work like that with frequent flyer points. That's because as the terms and conditions of pretty much every loyalty program make clear, points are the property of the airline and not the account holder and have no monetary value. Of course, points can be redeemed for things of value when you're alive, but after after the account holder dies, the points could be forfeited depending on the policy of the airline. So it's generally a good idea because of that, um, while you're still alive, to transfer out points to another family member. But of course, this isn't always possible or practical, and of course, it's probably the last thing on your mind during that time. So it's good to know that some airlines are at least a bit more lenient, allowing a deceased member's points to be bequested or transfer to a family member at the airline's discretion. Each po- each airline does have its own policy, so if you have a large number of points with uh, one or more programs, you might just want to spend a few minutes familiarising yourself with those policies. But in Australia, the two main frequent flyer programs, obviously, are Qantas Frequent Flyer and Virgin Australia's Velocity Frequent Flyer program. And of those two, the Qantas policy is much more strict. Now, Section 8.3 of the Qantas Frequent Flyer Terms and Conditions states this, says that membership will terminate automatically on the death of a member. All Qantas points earned but not yet redeemed or transferred prior to the death of the member will be cancelled with effect from the date of death. Qantas loyalty will close the member's account on notification of the member's death. And Qantas loyalty will not be liable for any loss or damage whatsoever suffered by a person as a result of such cancellation. And I would point out that this clause has actually been updated in recent years to specifically state that Qantas points will be cancelled with effect from the date of the death. Previously, this just um, the terms and conditions just said that this would happen once the airline was notified of the member's death. So with Qantas Frequent Flyer, if possible, definitely try to transfer the points out while the member's still alive. And you should absolutely be aware of the consequences of notifying Qantas of the member's death. Now, with Velocity Frequent Flyer, it's a bit more lenient, as I said. Now, the relevant section of the Velocity Frequent Flyer Terms and Conditions is Section 2.3, and it says, Executors or administrators of your estate can ask us to transfer your points to another Velocity account or redeem points associated with your Velocity account or both. They'll need to let us know as soon as possible as unused points will continue to expire in accordance with the regular conditions on expiring points. So that's basically they expire if the account is inactive for at least two years. Um, And the terms and conditions also says, status credits and eligible sectors can't be transferred and will be forfeited once we are notified of your death. So that's with Velocity. So there is some options there. But uh, Now, other airlines where deceased members' points are automatically forfeited include Singapore Airlines, Cathay Pacific, British Airways, Delta, Avianca, and Air France, KLM. 
But other airlines um, are in sort of a bit more similar to Virgin Australia. These include Air Canada, Air New Zealand, Alaska Airlines, Etihad and Emirates. These airlines make it possible, at least in some cases, for points to be transferred to relatives after the member dies. And, you know, in some cases there is some paperwork or fees involved, but at least it is possible. Well, that's all for this episode of AFF On Air. Thanks again to my guest, Alan Lamb, and thank you for listening. And before I go, just a very quick reminder that you have until the 7th of May if you want to apply for the Air New Zealand status match that we talked about in the last episode. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels. Listener.